0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate
2: you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. <laughs> Since
1: 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best selling author, host of TV's That Metal show and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie
3: offers the world his news making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So, welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
1: It's time for another edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday. Podcast1.com and iTunes. Thank you for streaming, downloading, checking it out, however, wherever, and whenever you do it. It is greatly appreciated. Back recently from a trip to the West Coast where I was in Los Angeles, did one of my serious XM radio shows from the rainbow. We call it the Trunk Nation L.A. Invasion. It was a great one. I had Joe Perry of Aerosmith joining me. Gilby Clark was there as well. Also had a visit from John Five, who sat in as my co-host. Former extreme drummer Paul Geary, who is now a manager and manages Joe Perry and Wendy Dio, all dropped by. We had a great time. Last week at the rainbow in LA. Hope you guys heard it on my serious XM show. Maybe you were lucky enough to be there. If you're in Southern California doing that every monthly, uh, every month for you, including coming up at the end of November. We'll do another one tentative date, November 28th. If you're in LA, totally free to come down. Everybody else listen on my daily show, Sirius XM 106 volume, where you can hear me live talking rock with you and doing interviews and much more. 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time each and every day. Replay 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern and all the shows on demand on the Sirius XM app, including the recent L.A. broadcast with Joe Perry. In case you missed it, grab it. I'll podcast it for you for those outside of the U.S. and Canada or those who haven't joined me yet on Sirius XM. I'll get that up for you maybe next week as my podcast. As usual, on this podcast, you get one interview out of the many, many that I do on a daily basis, a weekly basis, on my daily show on SiriusXM volume. Of course, there's a terrestrial syndicated radio show as well, which is mostly music and a bunch of other cool stuff happening, including TrunkFest Fest. On Access TV, they are replaying some episodes from Season 1 every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific. You can see uh, Trunk Fest on Access. To be honest with you, I have no idea why it doesn't run more often in repeats, but it is not up to me. But if you are lucky enough or remember enough to DVR and watch 7 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays, you will see the episode in order. They are replaying each week One per week. Season two is coming next year. So thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. And thanks for checking out the Eddie Trunk podcast. Again, the interviews you hear on this podcast are courtesy of my daily Sirius XM show on channel 106. And I hope you join me for it. So great time in L.A. The travel continues as you are hearing this. I am getting ready to fly to Houston The latest uh, to the schedule updates include this coming Friday. I am in Houston at House of Blues, where I will host one of the final dates of the Sirius XM Hair Nation tour featuring Jack Russell's Great White, Bullet Boys, and Enough's Enough. Saturday, I go over to Tulsa for one night where I will host Kicks this Saturday night at the IDL Ballroom. Speaking of my volume show, I just had Steve Whiteman Mark Shanker from kicks on talking about the 30th anniversary of blow my fuse. Those guys will be at the IDL in Tulsa this Saturday tickets at the door tickets at Stubwire. I'll see you there hosting that then Sunday back over to Houston where I will host something called foam Henge with Wolf mother, April wine and sweet at the Carbach brewing company Sunday afternoon before coming back home next Monday. I originally was not coming back home, But I am now because uh, the shows that I'm doing in Mexico with Deep Purple, the tour that I'm hosting, is getting a little bit of a later start than scheduled. That tour now starts in Monterey on November 9th. So that's where I'll be starting with the Deep Purple tour. So I had a few extra days in between. So I'll come back home, uh, continue to do radio and all my stuff before getting inserted into the Deep Purple tour In Mexico, More information, like I said, as we go on Twitter, where I am most active at Eddie Trunk, eddietrunk.com is the website, all the appearances on the homepage, and of course Instagram at Eddie Trunk, fan page on Facebook as well that I simply post on from time to time. I do not get actively involved all that much on the Facebook side, but all the other stuff I do my best. So uh, there's where we're at lot of stuff going on. lot of stuff coming up. Keep up with me on social media. Keep up with me on radio. And, of course, weekly, every Thursday, new episodes of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. If you're shopping on Amazon... Appreciate you doing so by going to Eddie trunk, uh, or Amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie trunk. That is Amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. And again, for those that have serious XM, listen to me every single day. Again, two to four PM Eastern time, Monday through Friday, live, replay nine to eleven PM Eastern, all on channel one oh six volume. The show is called Trunk Nation. There's even a weekend best of airing Saturdays and Sundays from eight to ten PM Eastern. And uh, maybe next week I'll get you the Joe Perry stuff from the Rainbow, which will at that point be a couple weeks ago. All the stuff has to air and run its course on Sirius XM. And then after a couple weeks, I can bring it to you on the podcast. And that's what I'm about to do with this week's interview, which was an interview that I really, really enjoyed. And I love talking to those artists that you You don't hear from all that often or you kind of wondered whatever happened to or had a big hit and then sort of disappeared. And that is the story with this guy. Anybody that grew up with MTV in the 80s has to remember the song Fantasy by Aldo Nova, one of the early, very uh, big videos on MTV, a production video of sorts, the way it started, and a big song at the time from Aldo Nova who seemingly came out of nowhere and then disappeared off the radar just as quickly. Aldo Nova, a Canadian artist, more or less, to be honest, a one-hit wonder here in the U.S. And he'd done some stuff. You know, he did a couple other records. He was involved with John Bon Jovi a little bit here and there, doing some different stuff. And then he became a songwriter and worked with Celine Dion in Canada, And really went off the grid as far as a rock guy is concerned. So about six months ago, I get a call asking if I would be interested in talking to Aldo Nova, who wanted to reestablish himself in the rock sphere again, and come out and uh, tell his story. And I said, sure. I mean, I love doing stuff like that. So the interview was set up. It happened about two weeks ago. Again, on my volume show, Aldo Nova came into the studio from Canada to New York City. And we conducted the interview you're about to hear, which lasted for about an hour. And it was really fascinating, you know, to to hear this guy's story, where he came from, how he burst on the scene with that big song and video on MTV, how quickly it all went away, what he did in the last 20, 30 years, and now his attempt in his 60s to try to make and mount a bit of a comeback as a rock artist again, which I think, in total honesty, as you will hear, I mentioned Aldo Nova in this interview will be incredibly difficult. But I wish him nothing but the best. It was nice to meet him. Nice guy, talented guy. He's got a re record of some songs from his debut album available now called Aldo Nova 2.0 that's out there and available for you guys to check out. Different versions re recorded of songs from his first album. But, you know, I love, I know these aren't the big, massive mainstream names everybody knows. But I love doing interviews like this because I love getting these stories and love talking to these guys who were sort of a blip on the radar at one point and made a big splash and then went away really quickly. You wonder, what what the heck happened to that guy? What's his story? Well, you're going to find out in just a couple minutes the story of Aldo Nova as he tells it to us as uh, it unfolded a couple weeks ago on Trunk Nation on my radio show on Sirius XM. And as I'm happy to bring it to you this week. On the Eddie Trunk podcast. So, with that said, let's get a a couple quick words in and we'll come back and hear from Aldo Nova. The Eddie Trunk podcast. Hey, well, if you're excited for Halloween and it's just past, but maybe you're celebrating it still, you're going to love all the thrilling shows podcast one has to offer. Get ready for chills with some of the best crime and mystery shows around like beyond the darkness, serial killer podcast, cold case files, murders made, murder made, murder made me famous. Yeah, I can say it. The first degree and so much more. Check out all of these thrilling shows today on podcast one or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
2: Hurry in-store or online and celebrate Lowe's Spring Fest before it's over. With values on a cobalt 40-volt string trimmer, was 159, now 119. Or we've got a cobalt 40-volt mower, was 299, now 249. Give your yard the works this spring. SpringFest, a festival of fun and savings for your garden and total home. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. Offers valid to four twenty eight while supplies last. Selection varies by location. U.S. only.
1: All right, let's get into it. This week's podcast is with Aldo Nova. Check it out. Great to talk to him. Great to meet him. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Here we go. Aldo Nova is here and it's good to meet you, man. Nice to meet you, too. Uh, you are here because you've got a new record, which is called 2.0, which I guess let's take care of the current business before we go back to the past. You went in and uh, re recorded songs from your first record. Is that accurate?
4: Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, I went in and, um, well, April 17th, 2017, uh, April 1st, 2017 was like the uh, 35th anniversary of my first album. So uh, what most bands usually do is they take their album and remaster them and they change the artwork and stuff like that. So uh, when I on my birthday in 2016, I said, well, what could I do personally to do something different? And I had the idea to basically just take the songs, keep the innocence, add 35 years of my experience on it and uh, come up with like turbocharged versions of them. And that's what I did.
1: Why did you opt to do seven tracks from the record instead of just redoing the whole record
4: because some of them like you know Under the Gun and stuff like that I thought that I couldn't you know not really improve it's not that uh, I liked the way the way they were the, on the record and I just picked seven songs and I picked six songs and, uh, I, you know, I liked Under the Gun the way it was. It's not that the first record—I didn't do this record because I thought the first record was broken. I mean, I got a lot of fans that write to me on Facebook, and they say, well, why fix something that's not broken? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Well, you know, the first record still exists, I and mean, it's still there. Right. I didn't pull some sort of Mandela effect that I erased the past. And right, right, right. So what I did is I— uh, I just turbocharged my, the versions of the song, and it was a good way for me to celebrate the 35th anniversary in a way that satisfied me, a way that I could satisfy my fans and get some new fans. And uh, I think I, I accomplished what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, I was, I'm was i happy with it and I'm proud with it.
1: You made a really good point there, and it's something that as a, as a lifelong rock fan that's important to me. Like, I don't have a problem at all with artists, and I love seeing what artists do when they do things like this, where you record and... It some songs and takes, do some different things, as long as you can still get the original version. Of course. It doesn't replace it. It's just a different take on it decades later. So that, of course, is still the case. But what, what were some of the things like when you listen to the first record and you listen to a song like Fantasy, which was by far your biggest hit here in the U.S., what were some of the things? Were there things sonically about the first record that over the years that would always bother you that well, you wanted I, to change?
4: Any record in the '80s, it's as if they discovered reverb.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean?
4: It's just like it was like everything was drowned in reverb. I listened to my record and like the snares drowned in reverb, the vocal have echo everywhere. But uh, there was nothing broken about my record. I, li- I listened to Fantasy and it's still a great track. And some of the guitar playing on my first album is just like out of this world. I mean, it's like it's it's really like it was great for its time. Um, I, I listened to that, and what I, I what I just wanted to do is just like uh, keep the innocence of the songs and give it the the experience that I had. So I started exactly the same way. I didn't change. Uh, I started with a drum beat. I put the chords on. I put my vocal on. And then I started jamming with it like I did on my first record. I didn't like, uh, you know, I, that's all I had as a bass. And I started jamming with it. And then when I finally got to a point where something came out of the speakers that excited me, then I, I played it for other people. And then I sent it to Bob Ludwig, which is probably one of the best mastering engineers. And he hopped on it right away. And I sent it to the musicians. And they hopped on. And uh, after that, I said, well, OK, well, if I can do Fantasy, I'm going to go on. And I did Ball and Chain. And I did uh, the other songs.
1: So. What what were you doing when, when the first record came out in 82 it was, right? Uh the, the, the this first record, the original version. What were you like here in the US? I mean, I remember I was uh I just graduated high school and I was, you know, completely immersed in rock at the time. To to us and to me, you seemingly came out of nowhere. Hmm. But you must have had some history before that first record. What were you doing in in your earliest years leading up to that record deal and how did you get the record deal for the first
4: uh, record? It was totally accidental with me Um what i was doing is i was playing clubs four nights a week you know we're doing four sets a night we would do disco you know one song would be the Bee Gees. the next song would be the beatles the next song would be hendrix the next song would be uh you know gloria Gaynor and stuff like that so i did that for like, under your own name no it was Aldo under Nova. a band name it was called cashmere the, the name of the band so okay i was the guitar player the keyboard player singer And uh, we did that for four years, and I was making a great living. I was making 500 bucks a week cash uh, back in 78, uh, all the way for, I did it for four years. And I was working in a music store in the daytime, and then uh, some guy came to the club one night and he asked me, uh, he said, uh, Do you have recording experience? Which I didn't. And I said, Yes. Have you ever written a song? Which I never did. And I said, Yes. And he goes, Can you sing? I said, Of course, I can sing. So he said, well, listen, I got a record deal. He was a con artist. He says, I got a record deal, but I can't sing, I can't play, I can't do anything. Do you want to come in and like be my ghost, ghost writer or whatever? So wait,
1: he had a record deal, but he couldn't do anything? No, he
4: was, he was. a great con artist. And he oh said, my God. So he had the studio and everything. He had the studio time, so I had access to the full studio, and I would do everything. I would just sit there except for drums and just like come up with songs and uh it, i was doing sort of a more of a new wave type stuff like gary newman and yeah. joe jackson and all those kind of uh, acts and um so after about after doing this i had about five six songs so after doing this for about six months uh, he disappeared so the studio owners came to me and they said well we know you were doing everything so you have two choices either you pay us ten thousand dollars or we'll give you more studio time, and then we'll shop you, we'll give you a deal. And so what happened is I kept doing it. Uh,
1: at that point, when they gave me the option, I started doing more rock. Wait, so hold on a second. So this guy hires you Hired to be me. his ghost guy. He disappears, and you're on the hook with the studio for the time because they can't find him?
4: Exactly. <laughs>
1: Oh but they, it
4: doesn't matter for them. Like they knew I was the one with the talent, were, you know. So they were going like, we, we'd be better off with this guy than the other guy, you know. We'll take him over the ten. 000. What was the studio
1: part of the record deal? Had they were they aligned with the record deal in some way? No, the guy was you know, supposed to pay
4: him, but he shafted them. You know? It's like
1: you ever hear from this guy since? No. So he's he was literally a con artist. He, he... was a con artist. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, man. so
4: that's how I got. It. And anyway, so this demo tape that I had, um, it was. I, I a certain point, it was half new wave, half like fantasy was on it, ball and chain was on it. Uh, there was a song that, uh, that uh, Blue Oyster called the later uh, uh, Take, they, me away. Take Me Away, which it's was called Psycho Ward. yeah, yeah, uh, that was on it. So, they, back then, there was a, a thing in Me Dam uh, in Cannes uh, where the, everybody would go and publishers would uh, uh, listen to tapes and you know buy music. So, my tape made it to. Uh, a guy from ATV Music Publishing, and he came down to Montreal, and he said, "Well, we're really interested. We want to sign you." So they signed me as a writer, and then after being assigned as a writer, they discovered again that I could be an artist. They signed me as an artist, and after that, they rented me out to Sony. So,
1: so you were te- you were actually signed to a publishing company as an artist and a writer, exactly. And then they turned around and cut a deal with at the time CBS Sony. To do to, to basically distribute
4: your your record to distribute yeah they basically uh, they rented me out they basically is the, the 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 only way I could put it out when I look at the contracts that's what they did
1: so you then go in and you're now making a record under your own name
4: of course and
1: um, when you went in to make that first record I don't recall because it's been a while since I looked at the credits but did you do did you write everything and play everything or? I wrote
4: everything played everything except the drums produced it. Uh, arranged it and also mixed it with uh, Tony Bonjovi uh, at the power station back then. But uh, the the record itself wasn't done after I got my record deal. the re- The record was done. All my demos became the record. There was nothing touched from the demos. We the 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 demos the way they were. We had even uh, the re- the publishing company had even offered uh, Terry Brown, the producer of Rush back then, to produce my record and. You know, Thank God for him that he was honest. He said, this guy doesn't need a producer. So I kept producing. And we just left one day in a snowstorm. Me and Val from uh, the publishing company stuck the two-inch tapes in the back trunk of his car. And we drove to New York. And that's how crazy we were back then.
1: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So then all of a sudden now there's this new thing, newish thing, just sweeping America called MTV. Right and how long like had that been on your radar when you were making the demos in the record or because you I don't think you would have gotten MTV in Canada especially at that time right no
4: uh, th- uh, that wasn't on my radar at all that came after uh, after the record had been done when they finally the record company when when they decided that fantasy was going to be the first single um, they decided to make a, a video with a guy called Richard Casey who was actually a a B horror movie producer and we went in and you know uh, i had the idea since i already had the intro with the helicopters we went in and are my hands bothering you because i'm italian and i speak with my hands no 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 <laughs> i'm half italian i speak with one hand it's
1: okay
4: <laughs> so uh, so we we uh shot we shot the video and of course i, I broke his nuts uh, the whole time i mean he he was like it didn't look like that the video so i mean his arms the stormtroopers looked like a guy with suits and And so, I mean, you know, I had them dressed like stormtroopers, and the laser beam was like my idea since the... So uh, it was funny, because special effects had never been used in videos, so... Well, that's what I was going
1: to say. That was a big deal at the time, because a a lot of videos in those early days of MTV, a lot of them were basically just a band on a stage playing, and, and there wasn't a lot of production value that went into it, so you would have had to have the support financially to make a video like that. I imagine at the time that was probably fairly expensive, that whole open piece and the idea behind it and everything. I mean, that was pretty pretty groundbreaking at the time.
4: Well, it's the only video back then that actually had a sort of a prequel to yeah. the song. You know what I mean? And after that came a bunch of other ones. But uh, I don't think the budget was that high because, don't forget, this was nineteen eighty the end of 81, beginning of 82. Because if the record came out in April, then the video was already ready by then and so uh and the special effect was called rotoscoping they actually used to draw on the negative so it was only one shot but you have to draw right on the negative uh, that whole shot is uh is uh that's that's what it is and that's really the only special effect apart from a smoke machine and uh you know
1: yeah i just remember that big open piece because it's pretty long and the other thing i remember too is the fact that like there i had found out years later there were a lot of videos that had setups like that like uh pieces before the actual song kicked in but a lot of times MTV would cut them off oh, and really? you'd never see them they so so you'd lose like you know years and years later when artists released their own home videos and with and they'd include the video clips you would see oh wow that's the uncut version of the video there's 30 60 2 minutes before the song but a lot of times MTV would chop it because they wanted to just save time. But they would always play the full build-up on yours. But the uh, the most
4: memorable part, probably because I was wearing a leopard suit. That's the most <laughs> that's the most lep- the most memorable part of that video. So you can imagine I walk out of the uh, the, the helicopter with a skin tight leopard suit, and uh, <laughs> it was a, a much less politically correct time. So you can imagine what the guys called me. The girls, I don't know, they probably thought it was cool, but the guys, God knows what they called me. But once I got after the guitar solo, then they said, well, Cal, I'll probably let him slide. He's probably okay. I mean, you know. So, <laughs> but, you know, that's, it took a lot of, uh, I don't know what possessed me, but I did it. I just had to, you know, I wanted to look different.
1: Did, did the pretty immediate success from that video and that song in particular, did it take you by surprise? I mean, here you are coming out of nowhere, and and uh, this, just talking about the circumstances leading up to getting your record deal. Did Were you prepared for it? Did you, did you, were you kind of surprised that fantasy connected like that?
4: I don't know it was like my dream come true. I mean, everything was just happening the way I sort of dreamed about it. you know it's like my dream when I was a kid was to be on the cover of circus magazine i don't know if you remember that sure of course, and um it
1: was sort of as it it was all happening you know, and uh how did you handle it? How did, did I you go it? off the rails? Were you one of those guys that went crazy with chicks and drugs and this and that, or were you more reserved? well, more reserved I mean you know that was the eighties uh, chicks and drugs
4: and everything I mean. It's like back then, people used to walk around with your lawyer. You you, you used to walk into his office, and he he had a grinder. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, that that was just the the way of the the times. And girls, well, you know, it was uh, now. You, I'm girl. I'm scared of girls. I mean, I can't even. I won't even go near a girl now. You know, it's like, you know. So uh, back then, it was it was fun. It was a free for all. I mean, you know, we had we had a good time. I mean, you know. uh, uh, I can't. You know, I loved every minute of it. You know.
1: What touring did you do for that first record? I can't recall. Did you go out on your own, or did you go out open for people?
4: We opened up for everybody. Actually, my first tour was with the Hall of Oates. Believe it or not. Wow. The college, yeah, that was like a really a mismatched bill, but it worked because we played colleges, and you know we didn't get booed off stage, which was great. Then we did Cheap Trick, Sammy Hagar, Blue Oyster Cult. We toured with about everybody. You know, UFO. And they all were very generous with their time with uh, their sound systems, their lights, and mm-hmm.
1: it was great you know? and when you, well, when you think about the music you made, i mean you, you, there that was the other thing too is like kind of where you slotted in because you weren 't at that time a full on hard rock guy you definitely you weren 't a metal guy, but you were not a new wave guy you weren 't a pop guy. You were, you know, I looked, I was a fan, but I looked at it kind of more of like, you know, I you slotted in as sort of like, uh, to me, like a hard rock guy, but with some influences that touched on some other things. You had keyboards, you had different sort of sounds going. So it would make sense that you could open for and get over and play and get over with an audience for a lot of a variety of different artists. But there were a lot of guitars. I mean,
5: there's yeah. like a
4: ton of guitar solos. Every song had a guitar solo. Right. Harmony guitars, guitars here, guitars there. So, uh. I think I, I did much better with the Sammy Hagar crowd than I did with the Hall & Oates uh, crowd. Right. And that was fine. Plus, um, I, the sound that I had, I don't know, it was more of a mixture of everything that I had learned in clubs. And, you know, like I loved Dario, I love Boston, I love all these bands, so when it came time for me to do the record, I just put it together and made some new minestrone and i guess uh, that's just what it came out of it you know so.
1: well aldo nova is with me and he's gone in and re-recorded seven tracks from the debut album including fantasy uh completely different takes on these songs and um you know you, did you play everything on here again as well uh actually uh, i didn't play drums which i never did i'm a terrible drummer
4: uh, i'm a closet drummer Uh, There's rhythm guitars, effects guitars, and bass, which are played by two guys in Miami, Dan Warner and Lee Levin. And the rest is pretty much all me. And uh, all the vocals, all the guitars, and uh, guitar solos.
1: Back with more of my interview with Aldo Nova coming up on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast.
2: This, This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
1: Hey there, diehards. Here are some football facts even you might not know about. Like the first football game was played in 1869. In an average game, the ball is typically in play for only 11 minutes or so. And finally, pizza consumption rates go up during the week of a big game. Okay, you probably knew that last one. Well, here's another fact you might not know that's actually really useful, especially if you plan on tailgating. And that is that TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right, True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. So, when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to it with more with Aldo Nova on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. So I want to go chronologically a little bit, and then I know some people want to talk to you on the phones, too, because obviously it's been a long time since anyone's heard from you, and there's more to your story, a lot more. But the first album, fantasy, huge song, you have that success, and then you make another record called uh, Subject. Right. Uh, Your thoughts on that record?
4: My thoughts on that record is that well, the first record I had complete control. The second record, since the first one did completely, you know, very well, I had really complete control. So I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make sort of a concept record, and so I, you know, I had it was a main theme throughout the song and throughout the the, the record, and uh, I wrote it went more in a heavier direction when music went more soft, You know the music was becoming you know more commercial, and I went to like Monkey on Your Back and talking about drug addiction and things like that. So so that record for me is probably still one of my best records. And what I consider it, was like uh, some people are just getting into it now because it was like I think had it come out maybe six years later, it would have done a lot better. And. but i think that's one of my best records
1: and then you you talk about going heavier with subject and then you went the other way which i don't know if it was in response to subject not doing as well and pressure from the label but then you made a record called twitch which was you know more of the commercial side of things would you agree um, Twitch
4: is the record that I like the least, and first of all, I don't consider an album over record because the record company, you know, seeing that subject didn't do as well as the first one, they really got involved, so they decided to put me. Uh, apart from one song called "Rumors of You" on the album, uh, which is only written by me, the other songs are either co-written or there's even two songs which are written solely by other people. That I had nothing to do with the lyrics of the music, so I was being more of an interpreter than I am an artist wow. or a creator. And I have like way much too creativity um, to like do other people's stuff. So, and the record company at that point would like get so involved in the the, the recording that I would go and leave for the weekend to take a break, and the the A and R would go in the studio with uh, Jim Steinman's background singers, and they would put all these tracks on. It come in Monday morning. And, it would be like I didn't understand what was going on. It wasn't my record. So after that record, I really said, "Well, screw this! I'm not recording anymore for Sony." And uh, I left. I went back to Montreal. Started doing commercials. And so, did Steinman produce Twitch? No, uh, I I produced it with along with uh, the A and R of the record company. No, he's just the guys just used Steinman's background vocals to, to get that sound. I mean the
1: they were going for like a meatloaf vibe or whatever it was? I don't was. know what they were going for. So how difficult is that for you as an artist? I mean, here here you are, you're, you're a creative guy, you play all these instruments, you're writing your stuff and all that. I mean, to be put in that situation where you're all of a sudden being dictated to by the label and this is the way we're doing it, this is the way you're going to sound, this is the way you're going to look, this is what we want to do, you basically become a puppet at that point. I mean, I don't even know, I mean, how do you even get through that process? Do you just say, like, you know, was there support for that record when it came out? Did you tour? Did you do press? Did you do anything? Or You knew it was over pretty much it,
4: it was over in my head anyway as I was recording it I said it was, I didn't want to push it I didn't want to do anything it wasn't my record it's not an Alden over record what do I wow. tell you and yeah. your
1: picture's on the front of it and your name's yeah, on it just it look doesn't at the feel like
4: your record look at the difference on the first album you've got like me and a Complete rock and roll pose with the guitar. Right on the second one, it's like a science fiction cover. On the third one, I'm in a th- you know three piece suit. Pastel colors. Yeah, pastel colors. I mean, so obviously there's nothing of me in there because. Right. Uh, uh, so I went back to Montreal, and uh, when I went back to Montreal, I said, "Well, I have to. I'm going to sit out this contract." And when I went back, I was broke, and but I got myself a small apartment. And I started working with a 13-year-old French singer called Céline Dion. And from then, developed their relationship and started writing, doing commercials, writing for other people. And uh, that's how I earned my living.
1: So that that's an amazing thing. And that's something that obviously shouldn't be you know, just, just glossed over. They, I mean, you you come from three, you know, three albums on a major label. You have that success. It quickly sort of evaporates. You, they try to turn you into something you don't want to be. You bail on the whole thing. You're broke. You go back to Canada. And then you meet... How do you meet Celine Dion? You said she was 13 when you met 13, her? 13, yeah. how uh, does that happen? The A&R from...
4: Uh, was a friend of mine. The A&R from Sony Canada calls me up and he said, well, we signed this new uh, girl. She's 13. Uh, she sings in French. And I speak perfect French and Italian. So... um we want you to write some songs and produce the album.
1: And so the... Uh, you we, still have your publishing deal at this point with ATV? Were you yeah, still of signed of course. To I them? Still,
4: ATV still owns the publishing on all my 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 stuff, except for the, this record, which, well, this actually they do for this record, but uh, at a certain point, uh, it, they don't. But I, yeah, I'm still a writer for ATV. So, but So I write her three songs, one which is a French version of Have a Heart, and uh, the record does really well. It sells 100,000 copies just in Quebec, and... Uh, she starts to move on. then in, um, I forget what year, I think it's 1989 or 1990, she just does the Canadian version of the Grammys called The Junos. And her manager comes up to me and says, well, we need an English song. He said, but I,", ha- I she said, but we know what song we want. We want you to do this song. And I had written it in English. It's called Have a Heart. So she performed that song that I produced a demo of. And uh, right away, they signed her to an English deal. So, uh, that's how she got her deal in English.
1: Were you you being? Uh, I, I imagine at your core you're a rock guy. I mean, you, you what you, your first two records are kind of in line with your own tastes in terms of music that you like. Would that be accurate? Yeah, very
4: accurate, yeah. So
1: how, does, how do you as a writer, I mean, Celine Dion is certainly tremendous to this day at what she does and everything, but are you all of a sudden saying to yourself, like, wait a minute, how am I finding myself in this sort of adult contemporary pop world? But then I imagine when the checks start coming in, you're like, hey this ain't so bad. <laughs> no, it's, it's not the matter of the, the checks. It's just a matter of I can write any kind of music. I love all kinds
4: of music from classical to uh to hard rock, to heavy metal, to, you know, pop, to except uh, the pop that's out today. But, I mean, you know, I, I like everything. Don't forget, I was raised playing in clubs. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, all this music, I'm a mishmash of all this stuff. I love everything. I love that. I mean, lately I've been listening to the Jackson 5's first album. So, I mean, you know, that's uh, there's some great players on that album. Sure. So, so, um Writing, uh, you know, like uh, adult contemporary it was it was a no-brainer for me. It was just like something that just came. Uh, it was in my blood, also.
1: When you when you first um, heard and saw Celine Dion at thirteen, did you did you feel like th- there was a talent there that was going to go on to become what it became, or what she's become?
4: She de- she had talent and that's the only reason why I uh I make the decision to work with her. I you know, I have a certain standard and a certain bar. I'm not gonna work with somebody who has no talent. I mean you can't you can't you know, you can only uh you know, you get, excuse the expression. I don't know if I can say S H H. You can understand? say whatever you want, yeah. Okay, I, you you can only polish shit, you know, to a certain point, it won't turn into chrome. I mean, you know <laughs> what I mean? So it's like, uh, so I mean, you know, so uh, she was great and she just got better and better and better and better. You know, she still hasn't learned how to speak English, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Do you still work with her? Are you still in touch with her? Actually, uh, I keep in touch with her. Last time I saw her was at her husband's funeral, uh, God rest his soul. And uh, she's busy doing other things. She's doing Vegas, and she's on right. a tour. Yeah. So uh, I keep in touch with, you know, on a long-term basis. So, I mean, they're, they're all friends. They all became friends. That's how I had these relationships, is that, you know, they were more of a friend relationship that turned. If I had a great song, let's say, like, A New Day Has Come, uh, I would present it directly to her husband, and he would, like, say, well, okay, well, uh, well this is a song that we're going to do. So a lot of my songs, uh, that's how they went through. They wouldn't, go, they wouldn't go through the ANR.
1: Right. Let me ask you then, and let, and let me bring, let me, let's, as we continue here, and we'll grab some calls in a second for Aldo Nova. Your relationship and your history with John Bon Jovi is interesting, and I know John has always been a fan and supporter of of yours. You referenced earlier in the conversation that when you worked on the first record, I guess it was mixed by Tony Bon Jovi, who I think is his cousin. His
4: older cousin, yeah.
1: Right, and that was at the Power Station here in New York with the legendary story John used to be a a gopher there at the studio or whatever. Is that where you first met him? I met him by the coffee
4: machine, whether he was a janitor or a gopher or a custodian, I'm not sure. But the Studio A, which we were mixing the first album, was was right in front of the coffee machine, and I'm a coffee addict. So I used to go over there, and he was a great... uh, He's, he's a great kid. I mean, you know, we got along really well. So I brought him into the studio and played him the mixes of Fantasy and stuff like that. And the sound was bombastic coming out of the speakers. I mean, the, his cousin would listen to it so loud. I mean, he, I, I should technically be deaf, but I'm not. But <laughs> So, uh, I mean, so he's listening to that. So we become good friends. So when it comes time for, for him to do the demo to Runaway, his cousin calls me up and says, listen, do you want to play on uh, my cousin's demo? And I said it was. Well, I said it's perfect. I mean, I liked John. He was great. And I didn't know he was had such a good voice. You know, back then I only found out as he was doing the vocal in uh, on Runaway. And the band back then was Roy Bitton on piano. It was me on guitar. Tim Pierce from the Rick Springfield band on guitar. Uh, Huey McDonald, who still plays him uh, with him so day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, on bass. Uh, uh, Rocka, I forget. Frankie, Frankie LaRocca yep. was on drums uh, and there was another guy on, on synthesizer but I don't remember his name at all and uh, that was the band that recorded Runaway and uh that's how that came about. Then the song did really well. A radio station in New York picked it up. and Yeah,
1: WAPP, which is no longer there, but it was on the Homegrown record. And, of course, right. that story is well-documented for people, especially, in, you know, I, I've lived in New Jersey my whole life, so I followed and know the Bon Jovi story from the, the get-go. But you, you mentioned that the – because the – People have the first Bon Jovi record "Runaway." It, it is credited that there's different people on it than the rest of the record because it did come from that session. But I don't recall your name was on there. Were you credited for the uh, beat playing it on there? Says, Do you uh, still
4: play on it? No, you know it's funny, like because uh, it,
1: it lists Tim Pierce, I think, uh, as the guitar player. I don't think I don't remember seeing a uh, credit for you on there.
4: Well, it, it does say on the album. It says that uh, Al appears courtesy of uh, uh, Portrait Records. But I was in, in all the records that I've done for whether it be Celine or whatever, and you know, it's like the credits always seem to be like shy of me. Like even if you look on Wikipedia, uh, everybody's mentioned and they call it the All Star Band except me. But uh, on that record, the first album, I mean, I did all the background vocals. It was just me, John, and a guy called Doug Kesaros, who was in a band called Balance. And we
1: did all the background on the first on Bon Jovi it. record. Yeah, the
4: first Bon Jovi. I did all the background. And do you play on
1: Runaway, the version that's on there? Yeah, of course. Is that your solo on there? No, that's Tim Pierce. A
4: lot of people think it's me. Okay, but I played the I played rhythm guitar and I played like all the background uh, the background guitars on it.
1: So beyond backing vocals on the rest of the record, are there any other? Tr- there's any some other key, thing there's you do? keyboard tracks now also. Keyboard tracks. So, um, have you had you done any? because I'm I'm working forward here then did you do anything on the subsequent Bon Jovi records with 7800 or Slippery or New Jersey any of that stuff no
4: no the, the only record where I was really 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 involved with John was uh, there were two records one was uh, Young Guns 2 soundtrack where you know i did all the arrangements uh like for blaze of glory and for most of the other record because i did the demo to blaze of glory and then i got a lot lock, got locked away in his basement for three weeks doing the other demos to the other songs and uh we had a, we had a great time i mean you know we went to la worked with all these great musicians kenny aronoff on drums randy, randy jackson on bass this is pre-american idol and uh Ben Montench from the Heartbreakers, uh, little Richard showed up, uh, Jeff Beck played guitar I mean yeah. it was like a dream come true. So and then uh, then came Blood on the Bricks which was like co-produced and co-written by me and John.
1: Well, that's where I want to get to and that's where our story intersects a little bit which you probably you have would have no idea about this but this is kind of interesting. So you years later would get signed John Bon Jovi started a record company called Jamco. Right. Uh, and he starts this label, and he puts out a record by Billy Falcon. Uh, right. I remember, I think it was called Pretty Blue World. Exactly. He put So he starts this label, and it was run through his label, which was Mercury Polygram. So he had put out a record, as you mentioned, a record, an Aldo Nova record, Blood on the Bricks. And it was out at the time, and he had one guy working for him at the time named Steve Pritchett. You remember Steve? No, I don't. Steve unfortunately passed away since I believe, but Steve was his one guy working for the label, um, and he had set up this office in Polygram's headquarters here in New York. I had just come from working for a record working um, for a record label and was looking for a job, so I met with John here in New York. Myself, Steve, and John we had lunch at a restaurant, and Steve said, "Look, you know, I need a young guy connected in the hard rock world. I got this." Aldo Nova record out there, he had told me, now I don't know if this was the case, that at the time, you were on a tour playing free shows for radio. Oh, yeah. You were you were out doing a, a free, they were, they were backing basically a free, a tour where the shows were free. Yeah, a buck a show. A buck a show.
4: Yeah, that's
1: it. That's so, what I made. Yeah, I was, I was raking it in. <laughs> But John, look, you know John. John's a business guy, and John, you know, likes to you know keep a rein on the money. Well, well, it's not it's not
4: the rein on actually. No, it's quite the opposite because we spent so much. I think he spent so much money doing stuff like the two videos. Right. I mean, he shot like uh, someday and Medicine Man. They built the whole. You know, we used Wayne Isham, and he built the whole fair. And which I I would rather use the money and did two different videos and two different backgrounds than do a you know two videos that look identical you know what I mean so
1: right that, no. those videos cost three hundred thousand dollars oh and I'm not saying for a minute that he didn't back the your record because he was full into your record oh, you know right. he's a fan of yours you know that I mean he's always st- you know been a supporter and I'm not saying that for a minute I'm saying though when there's not there wasn't a return and you're out on a radio tour and you're you know basically they're tour supporting a free show and all that stuff so he said I'll, I'll never forget this we're having lunch and he goes you know i got aldo out there he goes i can't this i gotta get this record to sell and we're do throwing this and this and he goes i, I want to bring you on here's he goes one of the things i want you to do is get involved with aldo and try to push this thing along and tell me what you think and what we should do and i said john it all sounds great you know let me know what you know, I mean, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to be a part of the label. At the, that point, there was only one other employee. And it was this guy, Steve. So I said, uh, there was one thing, though. I was managing a band that I felt really strongly about that was going to take off. They were kind of like Hootie and the Blowfish before Hootie and the Blowfish. Very melodic rock band. And I I had buzz on them. We had just showcased for Clive Davis. Like, stuff was happening, I felt. And John says to me, um, come work for me, and I want a piece of that band, the band I was managing already. And, okay, I understand, you know, we can figure out this deal here. But I'm like, do I really want to give this up? And then the number he threw at me to work for him as a full-time salary didn't exactly blow my doors off. So I'm like sitting here and I'm saying, man, do I really want to do this? I might want to go my own path. So John says to me, if you remember – and you would at that time, Bon Jovi was in disarray. They uh-huh. didn't know if they were still going to continue. This was before they made Keep the Faith, and John John didn't even know if the band was going to continue. Bon Jovi in that form was going to continue, right? So John says to me, um, "This is all in my first book." John says to me, um, "He goes, listen, you know, whatever piece of the band you're managing, here's what I'm going to pay you. Let me know what you want to do." So I really said, I said, Can you give me a few days to think about it. He goes, yeah, no problem. He goes, I'm going to go to St. Thomas to the island with my band and still see if I have a band. Because they goes, it's well known. Those guys that were burnt out and done with each other after the New Jersey tour. And he said, when, we come, when I come back, you let me know what you want to do. I said, okay, thanks for the time. I'll let you know. He goes to St. Thomas with the band. And Steve calls me up. And he says, what do you think you want to do? I said, I don't know. I need some time. I was telling him what I was wrestling with. I said, the money's not great. I said, and uh, I said, you know, I really don't know if I want to give a piece of this band because I think they could really blow up. And I said, I've really brought it to this point. And Steve says to me, I will never forget this. He says, don't stress too hard on this decision. I said, why? He said, because John, when he comes back and he sees the statement from Polygram, on the money outlay for Jamco versus what's coming back in, he's going to shut this whole thing down.
4: Ah, which well, he did. Yeah, of course. And
1: I said, no way. And he goes, yeah. He goes, Billy's record's great, but it ain't selling. Aldo's out there on this free radio tour. He said, and we're, well, you know, and the videos and all that. He goes, it's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna mark my words. I know Johnny's going to pull the plug. Right. A week later, John calls me and he says. Uh, Hey, man, it was great meeting you, and I don't want you to stress on this decision. I was thinking about it. I just had a great meeting with my band. We're going to put it together. We're going to make a new record. We're going to go forward. And I don't know, this label thing's not going to really work for me.
4: No, 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 definitely. (laughs) And then that was it. The only guy who's making music for not for money is me. I mean, you know, (laughs) I I certainly don't make any money, that's for
1: sure. But, Aldo, if you would have blown up on Blood on the Bricks and that thing went through the roof, you and I might have known each other for the last 25 years. That would have been great. We would have made millions together. Other. That would have
4: been great, but, but the, minute Kurt Col- the minute Kurt Cobain opened his mouth and started yelling, smelled like teen spirit, and they shot saw, they saw those final shirts, we were done for, <laughs> all of us. I mean, that that's it. We were cooked. I mean, you know, the minute he opened his mouth, and, you know, the, you know grunge was great. I mean, I, I have nothing, again, I think there's, was, he was a you know, genius, Kurt Cobain, and you know, so grunge was good. It gave music a kick in the ass. And yeah, like,
1: yeah. But it was a, it was. I, you know, I, I've never met you until this point, and it was a story that I always wanted to tell you because you and your record were, were that record was pivotal. To him wanting me to work because he wanted I was a hard rock guy he wanted me to you know he need, the the thing I'll say about it is and and I I know John I, I did something with him for the last record I mean I've got massive respect for the guy but the thing that I'll say about him too even at that point as a label guy I mean he was really. That was, that's, that's why I was telling you off the air that I used to work when I worked for a label and I couldn't, I was too attached and too passionate about the music I was involved with to see, to let it die. To me, John felt that way very strongly about you and Billy Falcon and those artists he was working. It wasn't just a vanity thing to say, Hey, I've got this label. I'm going to pump out a record or two. He really was involved and loved uh, you course. as an artist. Of
4: course, and Billy also.
1: Yeah. and to, I think Billy still does some work with him. and
4: Billy writes a, a lot of songs with him, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting how your relationship with him through all of that, from meeting him by the coffee machine as a kid, through later him doing a record with you, to Young Guns, to I don't know where you're at with him now, but it's endured for decades.
4: It has endured, yeah. It has, yeah. It's a really interesting story of how Blood on the Bricks came about. I mean, if you want to hear that story, that's just, it's gold. I mean, it's Sure, like, yeah. Okay, so in 1988, uh, through all the stress of not, you know, CBS is not letting me out of my contract. I'm writing song after song. I'm demoing them. They sound like records. Everything is like, uh, but I'm stressed out. I'm not doing well. Uh, you know, so I started to push buttons on people that, you know, I shouldn't. And I pushed, one of the buttons that I pushed was Don John. And uh, so he got pissed and he said, listen, don't call me anymore. You know, it's done. You, you, that was it. So um, can you elaborate when you say push buttons? What, 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 Well, push buttons. I don't know. I wasn't in a great state, mental state. I, you know, I was, let's just call it that I was pushing buttons to the point where i get pissed off. You know? Okay. So, so um, a year goes by and... I know I can't call him because he won't take the call. I know I can't write to him because he's not going to do this. So I did a thing that only that I could. I know how to do best, and so I wrote him a song, and the song was called "Hey Johnny." And I went like, "Hey Johnny, well you used to be my friend. Hey Johnny, always brothers till the end. Somewhere we got lost, and I miss you, my friend." And that was the, the the way the song went, which later became "Hey Ronnie" on the Blonde the Bricks" record. So it was a great song. So I sent him the song, and he listens to it, and he calls me back. And uh, everything gets fine. We get fix everything up. He says, do you have any more of these songs? I said, I have a ton. I said, a ton. So I sent him all the songs, like, you know, Bang Bang and all these songs that showed up. And so in 89, that's when CBS lets me out of my contract. They say, finally, okay, you're done. So at this point, I've got the green light to go. And then we start working with Young Guns. And then by the time he came down to, to do Blood on the Bricks— we already had the material. Everything was done. There was only one song missing with Someday. So that's how, how convoluted that became. I mean, I wrote one song, and that song became Blood
1: on the Bricks. Blood on the Bricks probably wouldn't have existed otherwise. Wow. That's, and it, it, it all came out over the fact you were trying to patch up a falling out that you had have Exactly, yeah. That's incredible. Incredible stuff. Aldo Nova is my guest here. And again, the new album is called 2.0. Aldo is back. We'll we'll take a break. We'll come back. I want to hear from you as to why now you kind of, put your toe back into the rock world and you're coming out and talking and telling your story. Cause as you kind of joked about earlier, you went underground for quite a bit and I uh, <laughs> want to find out why now you feel is the time you want to kind of do this and where you're going to take this and what your, your thoughts are about uh, going forward in, in the rock world. And if people have some calls, we got a couple people on hold that want to say hello to Aldo Nova. We'll let you do that. Back with more of my interview with Aldo Nova coming up on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. The Eddie Trunk podcast. Hey, if you guys got a loved one and uh, they've got leg or foot cramps, well, even if you've had them yourself, you know how painful disruptive they can be. Muscle cramps, they can jolt you out of a sound sleep. It's happened to me. They can interrupt your daily life. Listen carefully because I recently learned about TheraWorks Relief. It's a non-greasy foam that's proven to relieve muscle cramps fast and reduce muscle soreness. Plus, with daily use, TheraWorks Relief can even prevent muscle cramps before they start. so You can get a full night's sleep or do the activities you love without worry. TheraWorks Relief. It only takes minutes to apply, it absorbs quickly, and it really works, which is most important. People love the results. You've probably seen Dr. Drew Pinsky on TV talking about TheraWorks Relief, and many of my colleagues on radio, they're also talking about TheraWorks Relief as well. Now the holiday season, it's around the corner, so if you know someone who suffers with muscle cramps or muscle soreness, can't think of a better gift than theraworks relief it is the choice for preventing and relieving muscle cramps make it your choice get theraworks relief today in the pain relief aisle at walmart cvs Rite aid and walgreens or by talking to your pharmacist learn more at theraworksrelief.com
2: this is the eddie trunk podcast
1: Let's get back to it with more with Aldo Nova on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Tell me why now you'd mentioned that it was a year ago, the 35th anniversary of the first record. Right. Was that the driver for you to do this? I mean, at least here in the U.S., you haven't been a guy that's done a lot of interviews and been seen or heard from a lot in recent years. So so where, where are you headed with all this? I mean, you've got this record out. Do you want to go play live shows? Do you want to make oh, yeah. an original, another new record of, of new material? Oh, what, of course. Well, actually, you fall I,
4: into this again? I, I worked for eight, eight years. I worked from February 8th, 2008 to February 16 2016 on a rock opera called The Life and Times of Eddie Gage. And I worked day and night on that record, and I, I think I wrote like 132 songs, and I narrowed it down to 32 songs. And it's a complete rock opera with characters, and I changed my voice every song. And that record is finished, done, mastered. Wow. It's in the can. And it's a very uh, spiritual record, and uh, I, I got the door slammed in my face by everybody. Like, I mean, people just didn't get it. I mean, it just wasn't wasn't time, I guess, for it, you know? So after this record, I'll probably might release that. But what this record did is, like, when I was doing it, like I said, when I started doing Fantasy, I got excited again. I got excited. I got excited about playing guitar, and I hadn't been excited about music for a long time. You know, writing for other people is like, you, you basically have to put yourself in their shoes and write for them and write you know what they're thinking and so it's not you so i started writing my stuff and i just got excited what came out of the speakers you know like i was coming up with creative stuff it was like creating something new out of something that was already been established um i was making a new record when i was making this record as far as i'm concerned i wasn't like just rehashing old material there is one new song called i'm a survivor on it which is uh it's oh yeah! Oh yeah! The last yeah, track I just yeah, noticed. That. I
1: only got this handed to me when you walked in, so I hadn't seen it before. But yeah, yeah last track.
4: the song, which is quite quite, uh, it'll take a lot of people by surprise. It's quite good. So I got excited about it again, and like right now, the, uh, I want to do whatever I can do. I mean, I want to be like the Jehovah Witness of rock. I mean, I want to go knock on everybody's door <laughs> and like just like you know, flog two thousand two point oh records at people. You know, so. uh
1: uh. I don't I don't want to be a buzzkill on that because I appreciate the hell out of you having that attitude about things but you you do you I don't need to tell you how tough it is out there right now because everybody in the how much things have changed uh, you're still you've obviously still been in the music industry but in terms of from the perspective of being an artist I mean it's it's pretty brutal because literally everybody can put out music everybody can you know put a video out it's so things are so Diluted, I think in so many ways that it's really hard. I find for, for artists to get a foothold again and get, get out there. Are you, you up for that? Of course I'm up for that. I mean, you know, that's,
4: that's why I'm doing this. I mean, I'm not doing this because, uh, first of all, I can really sing and I can really play. I mean, I'm not like, I'm the real deal. So um, I'm not insinuating for a minute. You're not, but but, uh, uh, it's it's just, it's it's not that it's like nowadays, if you want to, if you want to be seen and heard, like I said, my, uh, my not knock, knocking on, on every door means like playing in every city, playing in front of every town I can, in front of as many people as I can. The 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 correlation between my first record and this record, which is like the closest thing that I can say, is that when I was doing my first record, I had a dream, you know, I get my music heard by as many people and be, play in front of as many people. The guy that made 2.0 has the same dream: get my music heard by as many people and play in front of as many people as possible. So I'm excited. I'm like an, a kid, you know, like a. And uh I want a tour. Yeah, that's probably gonna happen in two thousand nineteen. And uh I've already got a great band for that set up and uh we've been rehearsing and I've been rehearsing, I've been getting in shape for like fourteen months now. So uh when I get on stage I mean, you know.
1: Leopard skin suits
4: coming back on? I have an even better shape than that. <laughs> I but you know what, Carlos Cena. I do I do have I've had a, a leopard suit made, actually. It's a, Bit. You made, you have a new one? I have a new one, yeah. But, I mean, it doesn't look good on me
1: anymore. You, know, it's like, <laughs> you look great, man. What are you talking about? I'm sure you could still rock it.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of work to look this good. Trust me, it's a lot of work. I have no doubt. No, no, no. Where's the
1: original leopard skin
4: suit? uh, God knows, I don't know. Probably a couple of groupies took it. uh, (laughs) One groupie took the top, the other one took the bottom, and it was a trade off. Um, So no, I wanted to tour. I mean, it's the only. You know, you're saying that people find it hard, but I mean, if you actually like, you know, if you want to, if you can sing and you can play. And you don't need an altitude, and you don't need. You know, I mean, a lot of people want to. No, I don't
1: it. mean it hard in the sense of the ability, your ability to do it. I mean hard in the sense of drawing an audience because everybody and their mother is on tour now. The the business is completely a 180 from where it used to be where you toured to sell a record and that's where you, that's what you're out there doing. Now it's completely opposite. I mean, I don't need to tell you, but the records have become like the lost leader. It's It's the promotional tool to get people to come in the door and do interviews and sell a tour. So that's where I, 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 I see so often artists come back and they go out there and they get in the clubs or the theaters or what have you. And it's because there's, it used to be like, wow, I can see this artist one time a year. Got guys coming through major markets three, four times a year, and then they've got five other bands they play with on the side that they're coming through, and it's just a different thing.
4: Well, that's why you know I disappeared and I disappeared, and I there's not even one photo op I took. I didn't go to one television show. I didn't do anything. I did it on purpose. Yeah. I mean, I took the, I, when I when I went underground, I went underground, and. I, nobody's seen me, nobody's done anything, so...
1: So that was by design? It was by design, yeah. yeah. It
4: was, I mean, don't think I didn't get offered tours like to get played at these fairs for like tons of money. I just said, there's no way I'm going to do it. I don't want to be considered a classic rock act and, you know, there's a lot of bands that I know that, you know, crisscross Canada, crisscross the states, back and forth, been doing it for 25 years, same old material. I'm a guy that can write new material. This the 2.0 record I consider to be, uh, like I said, innocence meets experience. It's a... Uh, great songs uh, it's, it's a super well produced record it sounds great and um, like I said I can play so I mean you know I have material I've got my first three album, my first two albums and Blood on the Bricks to play live and I even have Nova's Dream which is a great record I have this record so I mean I've got material to play so uh, and also I think that there's you know judging by what I've seen so far the reaction on my record which only came out Friday by the way uh There'd be a serious demand for me. I mean, you know, it's just like just to see what I look like and you know, to see if I don't weigh three hundred pounds bald and come out in a
1: walker. <laughs> I'm sitting in front of Aldo and I can tell you that none of those things are the case. So uh good for you that you're you know, yeah. I mean that and that's interesting, man. You 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 did that by design to build some mystique. Build some demand, people wondering, uh, you know, where, where you've been and what happened to you. So that works. I mean, they're, they're, I think there's a lot of artists that are overexposed at this point. They overtour. They're out there too much. They're on social media telling you what they p- had for dinner every 10 seconds. It's, sometimes it's too much. I think going the other way is, is actually create some, some, uh, some mystique. I think, it's, I think it's a smart thing that you did.
4: That's one thing that I hate about the, the 2018 and the, the new era, social media. I mean, back in the '80s, we didn't have social media. We didn't
1: even have smartphones or nothing. You know, so. But you kind of got to dig into that if you're going to get back into the oh, game. Of course. Now, when I you mean... were coming in here, I looked because I, I'm very active on Twitter. That's what I do the most, and I knew you were coming in. So I ta- so I found an Aldo Nova Twitter account. It was at Nova Aldo. Is that you? Because it looks like it was you is pumping out stuff about your record. Oh, I don't know yeah. if you actually do it or not, but no,
4: I do it. I have an app that actually, as I as I post on Facebook, it posts on uh oh, okay. on Instagram and uh, whatever. Okay, yeah. but I mean, I, I run my own. Uh, I run my own social media. I mean, I, I, it's a hands-on operation. Yeah, I mean, fans, uh, I post all my own stuff. Uh, I'll answer all my own mail. You know, like people that send me messages, they, they're really surprised that I, I'm actually the one that answers them. So they're like. They, they write me, I write them back, and you know, we have a conversation. Get them yeah, on. and I, I
1: don't, I personally, I mean, I, I don't believe that it, unless you're going to do it personally when you can, I don't believe there's a reason to do it. I think it's, you got to be hands on with it. That's the course, whole so. point of having that connection. You can't always answer everybody, you can't, but but to, I think that's a, a really important thing. All right, do uh, you have more time or do you have to go? Carlos, are we good we till go. the end of the hour? All right, all right, good. So let's do a quick break, and then we'll come back, and all you guys holding on the phones to talk to, uh, well, like he said himself, he was a ghost for a while, and now he's back uh, with a new leopard skin suit coming, tour dates, (laughs) 2.0 is out now. Aldo Nova, let's go to a break right now, and we'll come back and we'll talk to Aldo, and we'll let you talk to Aldo on the phones next. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, let me tell you guys about Pluto. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. I just told some friends about this. They were blown away. They said, yeah, it really works. It really is free TV streaming. No strings attached. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all your devices, your favorite devices, including your phone, your Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, anywhere else you stream. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all for free, no credit card needed, no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to it with more with Aldo Nova on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. few calls for Aldo. Aldo, you ready to talk to your public a little bit? They've course, been waiting yeah. for a long time to say hello to what, you. Are,
4: how, how many? I don't know. The, whatever 10 or 12 there are left of them.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> Come on, man. These people are excited you're back. Let's say hello to uh, Robbie, who's in Montreal, who's been waiting for a long time. Go ahead, Robbie. You're on with Aldo Nova, your hometown boy.
3: Hey, Eddie. Hey, Aldo. How are you?
1: I'm very well. Yourself?
3: Firstly, Eddie, thank you for everything you do. We listen to you up here in Canada from 2 to 4 and from 5 to 8 on Mondays, man.
1: Oh, thank you, man. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that, Robbie.
3: Religiously, religious. Thank anyway. you. Uh, Aldo, I just want to reminisce uh, really for a little bit. First of all, big fan, longtime fan, right from fantasy, right till now. I've been following you on Facebook. We probably had a discussion, like you said, on Facebook, one to one. I love it. I love that you're on it. I saw your show. You're, I think you were you were on that tour. I think it was the Fantasy Tour uh, at the Verdun Auditorium with Blue Oyster Cult. And let me tell you, you blew them away. Thank you. <laughs> you blew them away. I came to see Blue Oyster Cult. I had no idea who you were, and I walked out of there going, "Wow." <laughs> said, thank you, you. Thank you very
4: you, much. We tried well, hard, anyway. That's for sure.
3: <laughs> well, you did, and I, I I actually can tell you tell you you are one of the reasons why I became a musician. So. Kudos! I'm, I still play today, but uh, and, I'm, and I enjoy it every minute. I love. I, th- it. I think
4: I read your comment on Facebook today. Did you uh, comment? <laughs> uh, it's, it's
3: no, I don't think it was today. <laughs> all right, Robbie. Well, thank you,
1: thank you for the kind words, uh, pre- and for uh, for uh, listening, and of course, uh, and uh, cool stuff about Aldo. We appreciate you. Uh, appreciate all the listeners. So many great listeners in Canada. Thank you, Robbie, for the time. You know, he mentions Blue Oyster Cult. I always loved that song, Take Me Away. Right. And I didn't... I had heard it, and then afterwards when I found out you wrote it, my God, it hit me like a ton of bricks because it definitely sounds like something you would write.
4: Well, I wrote it with Eric Bloom. Well, the music was already done. It used to be called Psycho Ward, and uh, I gave it... I I wasn't using it because it was about a madman and a serial killer that escaped the Psycho Ward. And then Eric got it. loved the song because we shared managers, a guy called Sandy Perlman. And um, then he wrote this... Great extraterrestrial lyrics, which I'm totally into science fiction. It worked. They did it, and uh, the
1: song worked. People liked it. Let's talk to Steve in Tampa. Steve, you're on with Aldo Nova.
0: Hey, Ed, of course, as always, great questions.
5: Thank
1: you.
0: Um, thank you for taking my call. What other great questions would have got that grinder reference? And the correlation, with, uh, my friend told me it had to be more conversational, but I know you have a lot of uh, uh, questions. But the correlation with Andrew Watt, he continued to write great songs or get a writing gig with Aldo Nova. And Aldo, I uh, totally absorb your second record, man. Uh, and Ed, I'll call you in the future with a album, or live show review. But back to Aldo,
1: <laughs> the guest of the day. Steve's all the over album. the map. Steve, what's your question <laughs> for Aldo? I love
4: you, but get to Aldo. You like yeah. subject. I figured I, I picked that out of the bunch.
0: <laughs> hey, Operator and Monkey. Um, of course, get the new record, everyone. But his second record, I... I recommend that for every eddie trunk fan and eddie got a lot of calls thanks for taking my call Peter.
1: all right steve. Thanks, steve thanks steve thank you very much steve was a little all over the map there but thank you steve he mentioned hey operator didn't coney hatch do that song yeah coney hatch is that song yeah. so is that a, was that a that was who, a cover it was a cover of a coney hatch song right how did that come about
4: well i was friends at um Again, the guy that used to work with uh, that signed me, his name was Valazoli at ATV. Went to work for Anthem Records,
1: and later became president of Atlantic.
4: Exactly, yeah. he took Amit Erdogan's place. Yeah, and um, he was uh, uh, Coney Hatch was on uh, Anthem, and so uh, I became very good friends uh, with them, uh, with the whole band.
1: I know Andy pretty well. Yeah, Curran. Andy Curran, yeah. yeah, he works for Anthem now. Yeah,
4: also yeah, so. Uh, I became friends with the band and I loved the song. I loved the song. So I just said, I'm going to put my own spin on it and I put it on my record. And uh, I listened, as a matter of fact, I went back and listened to her song on YouTube the other day, Uh their version of the song. It was completely different type from mine. Mine was more, you know, like uh more up tempo and just different, but it 's still a, it's still a great song,
1: Coney Hatch were a great band, are a great band if they still exist, they play every once in a while, I think they have a gig coming up, but uh, man, what a voice carl Dixon Carl Dixon, yeah, what a Amazing. great singer man yeah. and and I loved that band. And they released three albums on Polygram here in the U.S. on Mercury, but they just never went any anywhere. Nobody knows who they are here. When I talk about Coney Hatch and I say Coney Hatch, it amazes me how many people just have no clue who they are because they just the closest they came was they had they had the first single they ever put out, a Devil's Deck, got a little MTV. And then they had a song called Monkey Bars which Andy sang which was a great Oh riff. right right yeah and then, and and it just there's three records are so great but Nobody knows who they are here, and uh, you know Andy worked for Rush and Anthem for years, and still kind of does. And yeah, he does. I yeah. know the company kind of they they divided. He went into a different. It's called something different now. Olay. Oh, yes, but I I just was in Toronto about a year ago or less, and we had we had dinner, and it was it was great catching up with him. But I forgot about that till Steve brought it up that 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 there's a cover of hey operator on that second record right it's his uh check out the coney hatches just was such a great band uh rick in miami you're on with aldo nova
0: hey aldo hey Hey. listen uh uh, this is a a very special phone call for me um i want to let you know Aldo, that i was you're the reason why i picked up the guitar Um, there's a few songs where I can remember where I was, what I was doing when I heard the song, and uh, uh, Rainbow in the Dark was one, Run to the Hills was one, and Fantasy was one, and I was (laughs) a 13-year-old kid jumping around going, what the hell is that? The helicopter, you know, the video, the MTV time, the helicopter, then the guitar riff came in, and I was blown away. I I just, I had to get a guitar. I, I hounded my my parents and grandparents for a guitar for three years until so they finally got me one. And uh, you had a big part to do with that.
4: Thank and you very much. I actually, did you get any, did you get did guitar, you get good? Did you get any good or uh, no? I, I
0: <laughs> suck. I still suck. But, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I ended up starting my own guitar company, and I have you know I it's a true labor of love for me. I have my own guitar company, and and it's just I'm in the music industry part now and i i'm loving life um and you had a big part to do with that and i'm I'm so happy to hear the, the 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 excitement in your voice you know to me the greatest feeling is that of being inspired and i could just tell from hearing you that you know you're like a you're like an 18 year old kid yeah I'm exactly. Like a lion ready to be released, man. I, I I wish you all the best.
4: Yeah, I'm and, I'm 62. Uh, I'm I think like a 15-year-old and horizontally I'm 20 yeah, years old.
0: It, <laughs> age is just a number, man. It's just a number and you know, I could tell you're inspired and and it's it's inspiring for me and I want to say thank you for 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 the great music you you're the you're one of the reasons that I picked up the guitar.
1: Well, thank you very much. Huh? Very cool, Rick. Very very cool phone call. Thank you so much for that, Jody in Missouri. Go ahead, Jody. You're on with Aldo Nova.
5: Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Hey, uh, how are you? I got. I'm I'm great. Thanks for asking. Uh, I got to tell you, the day I bought your album, I also bought. Um, billy squires don't say no so that was a terrific day for me Another um, great
4: album yeah yeah great
5: awesome the stroke I, I was like seventh grade so that kind of planted the seed along with the kiss and whatnot but um the lady asked me what kind of question i was going to ask you and i was kind of froze so i said well i heard that although nova worked for cindy lopper then I
3: came up with a better
1: question. <laughs> well, is that true? Hold on. Of well, course, Joe, before you get, did you work with Cindy Lauper? I worked with Cindy Lauper in
4: 1997. I toured with her, I played guitar for her uh, in 1987. toured uh, Japan and Australia with her.
1: Well, I did not know that. Well, yeah. all right, that's, there's a and good one. I
4: also uh, programmed the drums in her song, uh, Captain Lou. Oh, really? On the wrestling record. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. <laughs> she drove me nuts with that, boy. Do a, do a bar and one uh, inch of, uh, a bar and one line, uh, that's how long the, the segment has to be, and I'd never heard of this stuff. It
1: was from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jody, what, what's your other quick question here? I'm, we're running out of time.
5: Well, real quick, uh, it seems to me that Fantasy, the uh, keyboard and the guitar part, is kind of a nod to Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused. You're, complete, crazy?
4: you're completely right. That line da 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 is completely dazed and confused. Wow,
1: I never picked up on that until now. Like you
4: know what, and you'll hear on on uh, Fantasy Two Point You'll hear right at the end. You'll hear da 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 da, da. Yep. and that's totally a nod to uh, carry on my wayward son. Like I said, I wear my influences on my sleeve. I'm not scared to like. Uh, to people say that, well, it was, you know, it's, that was it. And it's a, they're, they're not, they're not rip-offs. I mean, you know, it's just like, no, no, this no. is what I listen to. And, uh, you know, if you pick up on it, great. I mean, it's like you're one of the well, only people that actually that's ever come up to me and said, yeah, you know, that, that's noticed that. You
1: know, kudos to you. Well, yeah, that's a Jody, That's a, that's a great one. I never picked up on that until just now. And now I get it.
5: Now, my best friend, Sean Crawford, owes me a big, fat apology.
3: <laughs>
5: well, you got it from the man himself, Jody. I got to run. Thank you
1: for the call. Appreciate it. I want to get Paul in Maryland. Real quick, Paul, I got 60 seconds. Go ahead.
5: Okay, real quick. Aldenova, great that you're back. Thank hey, you. Uh, vinyl. Vinyl's back in a big way. I was hoping to get 2.0 on vinyl I'd see that it's not available. Any chance we're going to see a vinyl release of that or possibly reissues of your old stuff?
4: Well, according to any, that'll never happen. According to me, <laughs> according to, no,
1: I'm just kidding. We, uh, Aldo and I were talking off there about vinyl and 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 if we're fans of it or not. I told him how I how I'm still loving CDs the, by far the best, but people are into vinyl. That's all great. It's not. No,
4: vinyl's fantastic. I mean, like I was telling before, I, I'd love to read the art. I love to read like the credits and look at the artwork. Uh, I, I love vinyl per se uh whether it's it's expensive to make whether we're going to make it it depends on the success of the c d and how many physical copies are going to be sold of that and uh that's uh that's where it stands as of now It's basically basically
1: uh a business uh, situation at this point thanks so much Taldonova. that was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. And I appreciate him coming by. wishing best of luck with the relaunch of his career and his new album 2.0, which is available now. Thank you to Katie Arizari. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk podcast. Remember with me, follow everything I got going on on Twitter at Eddie Trunk. Instagram, Facebook, also at Eddie Trunk. And my website is EddieTrunk.com. All my appearances on the homepage. Music news updated daily. There's a Trunk Report, which is uh, my blog. There's merch store. There's signed books. There's all sorts of stuff you can get all on eddytrunk.com. Have a look. Check it out when you get a chance. See you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. See you this weekend if you're in Houston or Tulsa. And see you on the radio as well, live on Sirius XM 106 volume every day, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Channel 106, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Have a good week, everybody.
5: sitting here with true crime tv producer and my best friend alexis linkletter and we are so excited that we are finally launching our true crime podcast called the first degree right here on podcast one and each week we are going to bring you the craziest true crime stories and talk to the people who are one degree away from each of these crazy events and we've dragged crime journalist billy jensen along for the ride and he can't get rid of us Join us on the First Degree every Wednesday on podcast1.com and the PC1 app. Also remember to rate and review.
2: Hurry in-store or online and celebrate Lowe's Spring Fest before it's over. With values on a Cobalt 40-volt string trimmer, was 159, now 119. Or we've got a Cobalt 40-volt mower, was 299, now 249. Give your yard the works this spring. Springfest, a festival of fun and savings for your garden and total home. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. Offers valid to 428. While supplies last selection varies by location, U.S. only.